For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Come On You Spurs podcast. My name's Dan Tracy and I'll be your host for the next 45 minutes or so as we talk all things Tottenham. Because win or lose, we'll discuss the news. It's two up top this evening and that means leading the line from the front around the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, I hope all is well, mate. And how have you been this past week? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Dan. Um, you know, a, a good cup tie for us to get into this week. So uh, looking forward to chatting all things Spurs again. Fantastic. Now, James is off on an FA Cup scouting trip as he eyes up both our fourth and fifth round opponents. So hopefully he'll be back next week. However, fear not, because I get the feeling our next guest will be bringing a double dose of energy because it's our good friend, Patrick. Patrick, always a pleasure, mate. How have you been? Since we last spoke, really. Oi, oi, what's happening, people's energy? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good. Happy to be here as always. And yeah, come on, you Spurs. Let's do this. Top man. I want to get a quick bit of a thank you, actually, out of the way before we do the social media bits first. Because, Carl, we've hit 40,000 listeners since we started. We've only been going for 50-odd episodes. And we've hit another landmark. So do you want to say a quick thanks to everyone who's listened thus far? Yeah, definitely, mate. I mean, that, that, I say that's that's brilliant numbers for us, isn't it? You know, we we hope all the guys that listen every week enjoy what we do. Um, you know, we, we like to give our honest opinions, and to be honest, we probably wouldn't have carried on doing the show if we didn't see those numbers going up. So appreciate all the feedback we get and all those guys that do listen every week. And hopefully, here's to here's to another forty thousand more and, and lots more podcasts coming your way. Absolutely. Onwards and upwards. So I'll just echo everything that Cole has said. And now let's get the social media bits out of the way so we can dissect the last week and more in full. As always, don't forget to subscribe to the Coming Spurs app where the podcast is available each and every Tuesday morning. You can, of course, follow us on social media We're on Twitter at C-O-Y-S underscore C-O-M and on all the major audio platforms. That's Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc. If we're not on one, let us know and we'll get it on there for you. Right. Let's get down to business. And that business has seen us very much up for the Cups. Now, we'll get to all things marine in a bit, but we shouldn't forget the fact that we're off to Wembley in April. And, Cole, although that is the case, rumour has it you're slightly struggling to get excited about our meeting with Manchester City. Would you like to expand on that, please? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, first of all, it was great to get to the, get that win out of the way, wasn't it, and get to that Cup final because, you know, as we know, sometimes semis have been our biggest stumbling block. Um, so, so I am happy I'm there. But again, maybe I'm maybe I'm a bit weird here. I guess maybe it must be something to do with my forty odd years of following Spurs and and the recent history we got in finals and that has kind of worn me down. Um, but as great as it is getting to the final, you know, we were expected to get get there against the opposition we were playing to to get there, especially being at home as well. Um, so for me. The biggest thing now is just making sure we go on and win this tournament because, you know, again, we can get all hyped up for winning a semi-final, but the reality is it, it means nothing as just yet until we get in that final and potentially win that game. Um, we know we can beat City for sure, um, but obviously I still have that nagging doubt that as much as we know we can beat them and everything like that, the old Spurs hoodoo will turn up and on the day we just won't show up and suddenly, you know, all the hype and that disappears quite quickly and we end up at the end of that day feeling as miserable as we always do. But I'm going to try to be positive on this one, Dan. We've beaten City. We, they don't like playing us. We do seem to get some good results against them. 
And I think there is a good chance we can go in this and win this final and get that trophy drought out of the way and suddenly get that monkey off our back from teams giving us abuse about not winning anything and an empty, you know, trophy cabinet and all those little jibes. And hopefully we're going to get that out of the way this season, pick up that first trophy and go from strength to strength. My only other real disappointment is that we have to wait so long for that final now because if it was normal, we'd be sitting there thinking it's coming in a couple of weeks and we can really kind of kickstart the season again and get some momentum building. Um, but I'm just kind of like trying to keep my feet on the ground, but I am happy. Patrick, I know you're full of optimism when it comes to all things Spurs, so I know you'll be jubilant about a Wembley trip. So the Carabao Cup is obviously the plaything of Manchester City over the past few years, but at the same time, all runs need to come to an end at some point. So how confident are you of that being the case come April? Oh, I'm really confident. I mean, I've been drawn out on Twitter already, as you've probably seen. So I've got the Arsenal boys on my back saying that we're going to get spanked in the final and all this rubbish. And I'm like, listen, it's our trophy. I'm confident. I think we're going to win it. Um, as as Carl said, we've beat Man City a number of times and we knocked them out of the Champions League uh, quarterfinals. I know we had a bit of luck on our side with the VAR decisions. By the end of the day, Sonny scored, what, two goals away from home? at Etihad and then we beat them, you know, uh, I can't remember if we beat them or drew at home, but yeah, we're, we're good against Man City and I think, I think it's time that we, you know, as they say, the year ends in one, so I'll leave it there. Succinct, I like it, but Carl, you spoke about hopefully getting the monkey off our back in terms of a trophy this season. Does the shifting of the final perhaps now sort of negate any potential launch pad that might have been utilised in February then for the rest of the season? Take, for example, Man City, as the perfect example in this, that they win the Carabao Cup and they always find that little bit of thrust for the last couple of months. Is that going to be something that will work against us now? I'm not so sure of it because I, I guess the fact is if you win a trophy, whatever point, it, it should hopefully give you a lift, shouldn't it? I, I do think, as you say, given the timing of the tournament and when the final was normally played, there was always that hope, wasn't there, that you know, if you can win that one early and get it out of the way, then it should give you a bounce that suddenly takes you into the second half of the season and into the crunch fixtures. So, yeah, I, I guess you could say, you know, if it had been played when it normally would and we win it, especially against a team like City, you know, because if you beat them, you are beating one of the best teams in the country. So you should then get that extra motivation that you can go on and beat anyone else for the rest of the season. So I guess that, you know, that is a little bit of a shame by it. Um, but then I guess, Dan, if we look over the course of history and if we look at potentially the last time we won that tournament, the minute we won it, we kind of ended up going straight to the beach, didn't we? Um, and yes. the season then fizzled out. And I guess there's been plenty of teams in the past that that's happened to. Um, so I guess there is no definite. It, it's not a guarantee that if you win it, you suddenly then go on this amazing run. But I think it would have been nice because I'm going to tell you now, if we win this final the joy and the feeling that everyone's going to have. And people can try and say it's just the Carabao Cup and everything like that. When we finally get a trophy over the line, it is going to be scenes because it's something we've been waiting for a long while. We can finally start saying, well, there you go. There's that trophy over the line. Now on to bigger and better things, hopefully. And I tell you, we'll all be buzzing, won't we, for you know the rest of the season. Um, so that's hope that we, you know, no matter when it is, we can get that win, um, and we can then springboard ourselves. And you know, top four has got to be a must. Um, you know, yes, we'd love to win the league, but it, even if that cup final win 
sprung a run of fixtures and a bounce that makes sure we finish top four, good Europa run, good FA Cup run. I think, you know, we'd all be very happy with what we've achieved in this tournament, especially when as well you consider this was the one we were all happy, quite happy in a way, to bin off um, when you looked at our fixtures come the start of the season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also on a sort of human personal level, the year that everyone has had, all things COVID, to have even just the Carabao Cup win, you know, not to diminish that at all, but to have something to look forward to and to hopefully celebrate in a couple of months would be such a nice tonic for football fans that are in sort of lily white colour. So hopefully that is the case. But Patrick, in terms of getting to the final, is it just reward for Mourinho treating the, the competition with the kind of respect you don't usually see from big six sides? Yeah, exactly. You know what? It's it's a funny one because you say you don't usually see it, but this year we've seen pretty much every big six team put out their strongest strongest teams available. So um, it's a, it, as we can see, the, the the Premier League is so strong now, and you've got your you know your top six, then you've got possibly a top you know seven, eight, nine really good teams. So everyone's there's not that many cups available, are there? So everyone's going for the same thing. So we've seen, you know, Man City and Man United part of the strongest teams. Um, and throughout the cup, we've seen, you know, even when we played Chelsea early on, they put out a really strong team as well. So I guess everyone is going for it. There's not that many cups available. Um, and it is nice to see that Jose hasn't taken, you know, a day off, so to speak. He's on it. He demands the utmost from from everyone that goes out there. And yeah, it's nice to see, you know, his first full year in charge. We're already in a cup final, um, looking decent in the league. And obviously, we're still in other cup competition. So long may it continue. In terms of respect, Carl, has the run been slightly diminished by the fact that we've got a bye against Leighton Orient? We've had some favourable draws. Has it diminished it ever so slightly in terms of getting to Wembley? It's almost been the the expectation that if we didn't, it would be failure. I know Chelsea was a tough one, but it's kind of been sort of a run-the-mill kind of run to Wembley, which hasn't really garnered loads of excitement at the same time. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, possibly. Um, but then at the same time, that's cup football for you, isn't it? You know, I, I don't think you'll see Chelsea fans moaning um, the years when they had FA Cup runs of facing the likes of Gillingham and Notts County at home all the way up to the semi-finals, basically, um, and then eventually going on to win it. Um, the bottom line for me will be it's cup football. Sometimes you'll draw a great team in round three and might end up being knocked out. Other times you get lucky draws all the way. Um, you know, we, as you say, we can't help the Leighton Orient thing. And, you know, yes, the semi-finals only being one leg and obviously us being at home against a lower league side. As you say, I don't think there was that. Uh, and certainly for me, I don't think there was that emotion of going through to a final that, say, we'd played Man City and won that game in a tense one nil. You'd be, you probably would have been buzzing even more, because I think when the draws were made, you were kind of sitting there thinking, well, listen, if we don't make the final, that will be a massive epic failure on the club's part, given what's happened. And we were, we we're kind of lose-lose, aren't we? If we didn't make it, everyone would be laughing at us and calling us, you know, the chokers, the, you know, the jokers. How can you not get to a final with that? We do make it and everyone's, oh, yeah, well, look who you had to beat. It's hardly surprising. You've just got to do what you can do, get those games out of the way and one, get to the final. And that's why, as I say now, the most important thing is that when we get to that final, we don't let ourselves down. We don't, you know, the mentality is right and we don't suddenly crack under some pressure and we go and get this done, and then we can turn around and say, listen, you've got to do what you've got to do. You've still got to put the ball in the net and win the games. We've done it, and we've got a trophy in the bag. 
and we carry on and move on. So Patrick, in terms of the game itself against Brentford, the scoring was opened by a lesser spotted Musa Sissoko header. So I think his positioning and header in itself and the cross from Rajulion needs to be highly commended because that's sort of come from nowhere really and what an effort to get things going. Yeah, lovely. It's, it's, it's brilliant when, you know, one of the unexpected guys gets on the score sheet because we all know Sonny, Kane, uh, Gio, uh, Lo Celso, when he plays, does uh, chip in with a few goals. But other than that, you don't really know where the goals are coming from, do you? So when you see like Regalon whipping a lovely cross like that and Suzoko with the cultured header um, over the keeper, it was, it was it was great. Nice to see, you know, got us going nice and early. And then from there, we pretty much controlled the game. They had a, a spell or two, but yeah, it was nice. And um, I'm, I'm hoping our midfielders can chip in with a few more goals because it takes the load off the big boys. That's what we need. Yeah, it would certainly be welcome, wouldn't it? Because it just sort of eases the burden. And we'll get to sort of sharing the load in a moment. But, Cole, we certainly didn't have it all our own way, did we? Because if we meet Brentford in the quarterfinal, that Ivan Tony goal is probably an equaliser, isn't it? Because of the lack of technology. So it's certainly gone our way in that instance. But when you look at it, it's very hard to make a decision. It's almost like when you've got an image on MS Paint and it's been blown up so much, it's just pixels. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't really know what I'm looking at there, but they somehow yeah. come to that decision. It's not a goal. But from a Brentford point of view, that's incredibly harsh, isn't it? It is, especially, especially, you know, one thing I don't like is, is the fact that, you know, if you're not going to use that technology in the earlier rounds of the tournament, for, for me, you shouldn't be using it at all, well, to exactly, be honest, yeah. because, you know, if, if you're a team in the round before that has been knocked out by a goal that would have been ruled out, you kind of go, well, there's justice for you, isn't it? You know, all of a sudden now, because you're at the semi-final stage, you think it's worth putting this technology in to get the right result. Well, the right result should be got in from round one, you know, and all the teams that are playing so for me VAR shouldn't be being used it's either it, you either use it or you don't same as in the FA Cup you know you either you if the small teams can't use it then it doesn't get used in the tournament um but yes we were lucky because you know I think they've probably just got the right decision because unless Sissoko has got some you know ridiculous clown shoe on his you know left right foot or something the guy does look like his knees offside I still don't like seeing that sort of decision given because I would prefer to see a daylight rule being brought in for an offside. Um, but it, it went for us and we'll take it because at that stage of the game, I think if they equalise, it then becomes a tense, tense game and you could see some nerves maybe kicking in. They get their towels up and think, right, we're in here. Um, and all of a sudden, you never know whether that like, game is then going extra time and penalties. It gets ruled out and I think, you know, it's a wake-up call, isn't it, to then say, right, listen, come on, you've got to step this up because this team are capable. I felt they played really well on the night. Um, a lot of credit to them. Um, I wouldn't be very surprised if we don't see them back next season in the Premier League for another visit. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it, we got we got what we needed and, and it did kind of turn the game and sort of spark us into a bit of life. Um, and, and it could have been dangerous if they'd got that equaliser. Now, Patrick, that was obviously the turning point, really. That potential equaliser getting scrubbed out. And minutes later, Sonny scores and the short trip to Wembley is on. However, I want to ask you about another flashpoint. And that was Josh De Silva's tackle on Pierre-Emil Huyberg. One that was eventually good for a red card after a bit of VAR. So what did you make of that skirmish? Uh, it's a tough one because, you know, in real time, when the game was going on, I didn't see the actual, you know, high-footed challenge. Or I don't know if it's a challenge or... I don't know if it's a challenge or a slip or a bit of afters. Or I, I don't know what to call it, but it looked like he went to like draw, drag the ball back. 
but I don't know why his other leg or his other foot was so high. So it's a bit of a weird one. But as the game was going on, I, I saw the coming together, but I didn't realise what had happened. And then obviously when they was like, oh, Josh De Silva's in a bit of trouble here, blah, blah, blah. And they started showing the replays and they slowed it down and it just looked, it looked really bad. And then obviously when you see Hoiberg's leg and all the blood on it, yeah, you knew what, I think it was Mike Dean, wasn't it? You knew what That's he was right. going to do straight away. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a strange one. Only he will know. Only he will know if he meant it or not. Because, you know, you can't tell, can you? I don't know if it was a bit of an accident or if he was a, being a bit nasty. I, I honestly can't tell. But um, it was it was, it was was a nasty challenge. And by the letter of the law, it is a red card. I mean, Carl, looking at that skirmish, Schoenberg saw red himself, or the red mist. He didn't get sent off, but he had to go off due to the cut. So do you think his visible displeasure was merited in such an occasion? I think in the heat in the moment, you would, wouldn't you? Because... You know, like as Patrick said, you know, we you saw her coming together and then the camera's off and you don't know. So I'm guessing at that point he doesn't know what the guy has tried. I think he's tried a chop um, and his legs, you know, the standing leg that he would try to lift in the air to, to get the ball to go under has slipped or something. And that's then taken him into Hoiberg. But I'm sure at the time Hoiberg might be looking and thinking he's done me. You know, he's gone well over the top here and done me. And of course, I think anyone who plays the, anyone who plays the game and, you know, has done, you know, if you think a guy's tried to do you like that in what you think is possibly a career breaking injury or a real serious injury, your blood goes and your red mist drops and, and you're on one. I think what probably hasn't helped, and I know, you know, it might be something that we'll talk about, I don't know, but I think they showed it in the stadium, didn't they, on the big screens, um, which I don't think Brentford were too happy about. And it might be that Hoiberg seen it on the screen and, if you like, seen how bad it is and how lucky he might be to not potentially have a broken leg. And I think that maybe also has kind of brought the red mist down even more because, he, you know, he's realising that could have been a season-ending injury for me there. Um all because this guy has, has done me. Um, thankfully, you know, Jose did the right thing, I think, and took him off. And, you know, after the game, we've seen tweets and that between the pair of them to sort of say, yeah, listen, you know, I don't think you meant it. You know, good luck to you. Um, and I think Hoiberg is the sort of character who will calm down, dust himself off and just get on. You know, he's a Viking, isn't he? He's a warrior. So it, it'll, the little scratch, he'll carry on like nothing. Yes, a good point about the screens, actually. I didn't think of that, but you mentioned social media, and that's going to be the next point to Patrick, that they kind of made up in a digital form the next day. So you have to sort of look at it and think, it could have been a lot worse. You know, as Carl alluded to, that could have been a leg breaker. That could have been a pivotal moment at Tottenham season. You know, a pivotal moment, we're going to Wembley, but a pivotal moment, we've got no Hoiberg. So it could have been far, far worse than what it was. Yeah, yeah, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, and if we lose Hoiberg, he's almost one of these indispensable guys now, isn't he? If yeah. we lose him, we're mangled. We've got no one else that can do what he does. Um, he's brilliant at what he does. Easily, for me now, one of the best defensive midfielders in the in the league. The way he just cleans up, mops up, you know, senses danger. And what I love about him the most is that he doesn't overcomplicate things. He gets the ball and he just passes it to the, to the more creative guys. You know, he just does his job and keeps it simple and keeps us ticking. So if we lost him in that game, yeah, it'd be a big, big loss. But... Um, like you said, I love the the, the the little bit after on social media. It's like, don't worry about it. I know you didn't mean it. You know, I'm a Viking. I'm good. And I don't know if you guys saw the Serge Aurier clip where he's, um, you know, in the, yeah. I think in the, yeah, in the changing room, dressing room or whichever the next day. And he's just saying that he's good. He's strong. And, you know, and it's just a bit of banter and everyone's good again. 
Absolutely. I mean, we can all be grateful he's unscathed. And another thing we could be grateful for is that we're in the fourth round of the FA Cup. And before we get to all things Marine, we need to talk about the draw. So, weirdly, it's the fourth and the fifth round draw. I can understand why due to all things COVID protocol and that. But, Cole, I want to get your thoughts on the fourth round. We've got Wickham. Let's hope it's not as tense as the last time we met them. Yeah, I was just going to say, Dan, you know, before we all start thinking, right, let's start, you know, booking a trip to, you know, potentially Everton in the next round. I think we all remember that day at White Hart Lane, didn't we, where we all probably turned up thinking, well, yeah, this should be inferior stroll in the park. And before you know it, it's taken a last minute winner to get us through that game. Uh, and, you know, we really were looking in big trouble in that game and thinking, wow, I can't believe we're about to possibly go out to Wickham here at home as well in what was a fortress at that point so it won't be an easy game again you know they'll they'll come ready you know this is their final isn't it for them you know this is going to be the biggest day of their season um they'll all be up for it they'll be looking to you know make some headlines we just got to make sure we do what we did at the weekend and let's go with the right attitude do the professional job get it done get it out and then look to see who we get in the next round And, and if the cups are going our way it'll be Sheffield Wednesday thankfully well, fingers crossed. But Patrick, if it does go to the form guide, it will be Everton and it will be a trip to Goodison Park. So that'll be quite the tie. And also Tottenham will be looking for some opening weekend revenge after suffering a defeat at home. Exactly that. I mean, that was probably our worst performance of the season, wasn't it? We were so flat. Uh, and funny enough, all the pundits got onto Hoiberg after that game, didn't they? Like, yeah. oh, I don't know if this is the right move for him. It might be a step too high and blah, all this rubbish. So this will be the game where we can put things right. If, I mean, yeah, more than likely Everton go through and then we can do them really and, and show them, what you know, show them who, you know, who belongs where and that we're the better team. Because I know a few Everton fans and this year they've been talking a lot of smack. So we do really need to put them in their place if we go through, which we should, hopefully. And if they go through, which, like you said, on the form guide, more than likely they win their their tie. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. I really am. It should be a cracker, that one. But staying in Merseyside, let's go back to Marine now. I think my ears have just stopped ringing after that air horn from yesterday. But, Cole, in a game where we won (laughs) with relative ease, what did we really learn from such an outing? I don't think we learned, to be honest, I don't think we learned anything really, Dan. um, You know, I I think there was a lot of talk, you know, some people during the game, I I know it's naturally football, but, you know, going through player performances, like you're going to learn anything about a player that's playing there in in that game that's suddenly going to change your opinion on them over the course of the season. You know, we, we did what we had to do. And the good thing was, you know, we... We started off quite confidently, you know, we were having the ball, looking dangerous going forward um, and eventually we got the job done. But you can't learn anything from anyone's performance in that game. I think the only real mass, you, the positives you take out of it were the young guys that come on um, and played in that game. And obviously, you know, we've got Divine scoring a goal to become the club's youngest scorer. And, you know, we had the young lad in the centre midfield who looked really good and composed um, and looks a real talent. Those are the best positives for me. As far as any of the real first team players go, you you know, I'm not going to change my opinion based on that one performance against some some binmen and postmen. (laughs) And that's no disrespect to them, that's their jobs. But Patrick, one thing that must be noted is that the Tottenham fans who supported Marine in the best way that they could... And that's with virtual tickets. I think 30,000 odd, maybe even more, were bought over the last well week or so. So although self-praise can be frowned upon at times, I think we do need to, as a collective, give ourselves a massive pat on the back. 
Yeah, no, it's massive. And it just shows that, you know, football is a community and we're always here to like, you know, lend a helping hand and support each other because it was such a lovely gesture, uh, gesture sorry, after, you know, the, we couldn't get down to the stadium. The way that fans turned out in their thousands to literally support uh, the lower league team, it's, it's brilliant. And I think they raised over £300,000. I don't know if they're going to get all of that, but, you know, it's it's a crazy amount of money and it's going to put them in good stead for a long time. So, yeah, it's lovely to see. So, well done to all the Spurs boys. Well done to anyone that really got behind. Um, it, it was it's pretty much a fairy tale tie, wasn't it? And everyone was tuned in, hoping that we slipped up. Thankfully, we didn't. And it's a lose-lose for us, isn't it? Because we're meant to go through, but we're just meant to keep it professional, make sure we win it, win it in a comfortable and decent manner, which we did. And uh, obviously, it brings a lot of... Um, light to, to Marine. Uh, I saw one of the fans post something on their social media saying, this is crazy. I'm looking at my window and I can see Gareth Bell. Yeah. And Gareth Bell, yeah, Gareth Bell replied on Twitter with like, a, you know, the hands emoji saying hi. So stuff like that is just, it's lovely to see. Yeah, it's fairy tale football, really. I mean, just the sort of the setting and the fact that people are having Prosecco in their back garden. We won't talk, <laughs> won't talk about the Jurgen Klopp cutout, but um, overall, Carl, it was, as you said, a measured performance. It was professional. I think 5-0 was about par. I know some people were doing the 10-0 the result bets and all that, but I think, you know, if you were to pick a score, I think around about 5-6 would have been the, the common pick in terms of a, a final score. However, it could have been oh so different if Neil Kenji's effort was just a couple of inches lower. Now, once again, Joe Hart has completely misread the flight of a long-range effort. Now, this is becoming a bit of a concern now, isn't it? It is. Uh, you know, just go back to that first point, Dan, about the Jurgen Klopp. It's unusual that Liverpool fans want to try and make every single <laughs> thing about them, isn't it? Um, you know, can't can't let another team have some spotlight for a day. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether Joe Hart has actually got um, is short-sighted or something, you know, because, you know, close range and that, he seems all right. But the minute the ball's it from a distance, it's almost like he, he loses sight of it, can't see it. Um, and he did get lucky, you know, at the week weekend that he pulls his hand away thinking that's over the bar that's no problem that's going for a goal kick and I think he'd be a very lucky boy to turn around and see that crank off the top of the bar and get an opportunity to then tip it over um he probably you know he probably laughing about it trying to brush it off but I can guarantee you inside he was probably thinking oh I have had a massive escape here um and it is a worry with him isn't it you know I can accept that He's probably brought something to the squad this season, um, you know, a bit of winning experience. He's obviously a character. There's no doubt about it. You, We can see from training videos and that he's obviously well-liked amongst the camp. So there's probably some good things that he does that probably outweigh the bad. There is a slight concern, though, that if Hugo was to suddenly go down injured, would Joe Hart be a capable um, number two that you'd want to see play in more important games? Because... That's take cup games, you know, he's he's been primarily the Europa League keeper. Now, once we start getting through these later round, rounds and into the later stages of the tournament and start playing the serious games, do I want to see him picked? Not on your life. I, you know, I, I quite happily see Lloris picked in every one of them games. And that's the only shame where you think, yes, Saturday, the weekend, lower league side or whatever, yes, play him. But there is a question mark over his goalkeeping now in terms of would you want to risk him in big, vital, important games? 
Well, I don't think you would. I mean, you only have to go back to the North London derby and there was a bit of a Lloris COVID scare. You know, there's a bit of a murmur, a bit of a rumour and everyone's thinking, oh no, here we go. Like, this is a, this <laughs> is a loss. Sudden, well, this we? is it, isn't it? And you get to the point where you're at the sharper end of these cup competitions and usually the players that are considered your cup team, they kind of get phased out where the big names start to come in. So you're kind of wondering how much more faith will Hart be given. I know it didn't lead to a goal yesterday, but you are sort of thinking how much luck has that man got? You know, Europa League, he's dropped a couple of clangers in terms of long range, conceded yesterday, did himself no real favours. So you get to a point where probably February, March, you'd like to see a lot more of Lloris, i.e., as you say, Cole, every game. But, Patrick, looking at the game yesterday, and as Carl's already said, you don't really learn anything. You can't really say so-and-so had a good game because they must have a good game. It's Marine. And no disrespect to Marine, but these are world-class players. So it's no good really sort of judging a 7 out of 10, an 8 out of 10. However, we are going to anyway, because we need to talk about Gedson Fernandez. He's coming up to the witness stand now, Patrick. And I'd just like to uh, make, well, a point, a case, if you will. Shall we send him back to Benfica? What's your take on this? Oh, mate, send him back right now. (laughs) Now. (laughs) Now, right now. Get the scissors out and terminate that loan deal right now. Snip it, cut it short, nip it in the bud, whatever terminology you want to use, because he had a stinker. Just misplaced passes. Uh, I know he... To be fair, the only positive thing I'd say to him is that he showed for the ball. He didn't go... I don't know how you can go missing against, you know, Marine. No disrespect to them. But the guy just doesn't look at it. And it's just, it's a it's a weird one because I'm still wondering what is his position? You know, what does he do? What does he actually bring to the team? Um, just, yeah, I'd, he, I just don't think he's a good player personally. I hate to say it because he's a Spurs player at the moment. And, you know, he works hard. He looks like a, a nice guy. He looks like a good chap. But... Just as a football player, I just don't think he brings anything. And even, I think we had a 4-1-1. And he somehow ended up passing it to the only place where he didn't want to pass it, which was to the uh, to the defender. And it just, it just epitomises what he's about. It's just... But the thing is, Dan, as well, yeah. the ben- Benfica fans don't even want him back. Oh, great. <laughs> that kind of says it all. You know, I, I've got a couple I work with. And... and they just couldn't believe when we loaned him and, and the transfer fee was in the 50 mil region. They were just like, if you give us 50 million, he said, I will buy a Spurs shirt. And he was just like, it, they don't even rate him. They said, he, you know, he looked okay when he broke on the scene. But after that, he just was a meh, nothing player. So they couldn't believe we loaned him in the first place off them. Um, and they said, you know, if this, if you make this a permanent transfer and pay that money, you, you're crazy. So they're not even potentially looking forward to getting him back. And from what I understand, Benfica are already looking at offers they've had for him to ship him out of the club. So, you know, as we say, I'm sure the guy tries and he, he gives his all. And as Patrick said, he didn't go missing in the game. Um Unfortunately, he's just not good enough, and and that level is isn't going to be where he's at. Unfortunately, no, it, make, it makes it makes no sense. It's almost like do you remember Josh Onomar? Josh Onomar is way better than Jetson Fernandez, and even Onomar wasn't good enough to play or make it in a Spurs shirt. So I just don't understand the recruitment of how he got to you know got to come over to Spurs. It makes no sense. It's a it's a really weird one. It's a murky one. There's there's something not right there. But Carl, staying with Benfica Lonies. Carlos Vinicius. Now, yesterday, again, we don't learn anything from it. It's the equivalent, I guess, of having five aside and you've got a ringer in who's actually a bit tasty. He's actually had a couple of professional minutes and he's just smashing him in from, you know, yards. So, For a yard. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, who's this, who's this bloke? But um, I, th- I think the only thing we can take of it, really, is that a backup striker, 
You want him scoring goals. It doesn't really matter about the opposition, but as long as he's firing, it sort of shows that, you know, he knows where the net is at least. And if he is called upon, it does sort of hopefully that make you think that a drop-off wouldn't be so cataclysmic if Harry Kane was injured. Yeah, and like as you say, so far at the moment, it's it's all been dependent on the opposition, isn't it? Because we, we've only really seen the guy against Europa League opposition or, or part-timers like at the weekend. Now, my, my still biggest concern about him will be about the step up to playing against some real quality opposition. Um, and suddenly, whether he, he isn't getting just tap-ins, he's actually going to be effective enough and going to be able to score you know, some goals that kind of can help us through a game if Kane isn't there. You know, you can't moan at his record right now, given the games he's played. And as we say... You know, there are certain players who've turned up against part-timers and, and not scored the goals and not gone through. So he's doing what he's got to do in the games he's playing. We still need to see whether he's got the capabilities to step up and suddenly if we were playing Man City next week without Kane, is he good enough to cause them sort of defenders problems and, and get in those positions and score those goals if, if he if he can't just be smashing it under, you know, Hamish. You know, I think there was a Roy the Rovers guy, wasn't there, called hey, Hotshot Hamish or something, who used to take the net off from a yard or something. So, you know, if he can, if he can make that step up, as you say, I'd rather have him in the squad being able to give Kane a rest in games like that than not, because how many seasons in the past have we run Kane into the ground for 90 minutes in those fixtures, all knowing what it's going to lead to eventually at some point. So the fact we now have that guy that we can give Kane the rest and let this guy have the minutes and score some goals. It's a great move. And, and, you know, long may it continue, you know, if he, if he scores a winner in a cup final or something, it'll be an instant cult hero of ours, won't he? Most definitely. But Patrick, I guess there's always that nagging fear in that the one game where you rest Harry Kane, let's say, theoretically, in the Premier League, and we don't win, and he doesn't score Vinicius, everything goes mad, doesn't it? Why don't we start Kane? So it's almost like you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. Yeah, exactly that. Um, and as Spurs fans, we've also got to be a bit realistic and patient with the guy. I mean, he looks... I think even Ian Wright said in the warm-up, he said he looks He looks good. Like, he was... Um, you know, he, uh, Ian Wright said his finishing looks good. He looks like a tidy player. He just needs minutes. Obviously, behind Son and Kane, who are pretty much, you know, formidable duo, two of the best players and strikers or attacking players in Europe, it's going to be hard to get the minutes. But we also do need to be patient and realistic that when he does come in, it will take him a while to climatise. Hopefully, he hits the ground running, but we've also got to be realistic and give him the time that he needs. But I like him. So far from what I've seen of him, he looks hungry. He looks sharp. He looks like, you know, he's on it. Um, yeah, and hopefully when, when he is needed and when he is called upon, he, um, he he chips in with a few goals. That's all we can ask for. So, yeah, so far, so good. Carl, with that in mind, in this phase of the season, post-Christmas, is there a case that he now needs to be getting just 20 minutes here, 25, you know, just topping up more and more in the Premier League to get that acclimatisation? When you think of sort of Mourinho likes to sort of get a win done and not really sort of go attacking, is that going to sort of punish him also? Because you're sort of thinking at 1-0, you might be thinking, OK, the game's not really won, so we haven't got that luxury. But if it's sort of 3-0, can we start drip-feeding his minutes in the Premier League? 
I think so. Yeah, you would like to think so because yeah, it, it, you're right, aren't you? You know, we will only know if this guy can step up and be what we need him to be when he actually plays. You know, while he's only getting Europa League minutes and cup minutes and and never being seen in the Premier League. You know, it's a bit like asking someone, "Well, yeah, improve at this," but we're not going to give you any game time or anything to improve. And sometimes game time is the is is what you need. You know, it's all well and good in training. You know, as we've seen from videos where we can smash free kicks in from 30 yards, top bins every five minutes. It's great. Come a real game scenario, it doesn't quite work like that. So I would like to see him, as you say, start to start featuring a little bit more. You know, whether that's suddenly you drop Kane a little bit deeper in games and then put him up front, or you suddenly, you know, if you're playing someone like Fulham, like we will now be, and we'll get to that later on Wednesday, if the game is kind of comfortable at a certain point, 60, 65 minutes, get him on. Let him see the rest of the game out as the main striker and build that confidence up. Because as you say, Dan, players like him, Bow, um, you know, more players like that, they do need minutes because it's all really good having them on the bench. But if you're throwing them on with 10 minutes to go in games and hoping they're going to potentially get you back into it or save you, it doesn't happen because players can't do that you know you need game time and you need minutes to get to get in the groove and feel confident so I would like to see it as you say whether Jose's got that kind of um you know uncautious mentality to think about that I'm not so sure I think Jose likes clean sheets and comfortable wins um and he may feel in certain games listen I'm seeing it out and Kane's going to be my man you'll get your chance next week but I guess, you know, Wednesday will be a good test to see if that sort of thing can happen. So, Patrick, the headlines on Sunday would have been made by Alfie Devine. He's 16, making history as the youngest ever player to represent Tottenham in a senior game. And minutes after coming onto the pitch, he showed experience well past his age with a very well-taken goal. Yeah, no, really nice finish. Nice build-up to that goal as well. And then the finish at the near post. I didn't expect him to do that, to be honest. I don't think the keeper did either. So, yeah, lovely finish. He looked good when he came on. Look confident. I mean, the fact that he's 16 is crazy. So, is he still in school or is he in college? I'm not sure which one it is. Well, that, that is mental, isn't it? So, he's a year 11 student and he's, uh, you know, coming on and, and doing that. So, no, he looks good. And I think we paid 300 or 400,000 for him yep. from Wigan and, and people were moaning, oh, why are we buying him now? Blah, blah, blah. But he's coming on and he's featuring and, you know, uh, I'm excited to see what he, you know, comes of him. He'll probably have to go on loan maybe, you know, a, a few times to really get some football. But yeah, he looks good and at 16 and, and, and he's, you know, our youngest ever player, youngest ever goal scorer. At least he's contributing and doing something. So it's nice to see. It's nice to see that young, you know, talent getting blooded in. So, as mentioned, Divine is 16, and in a neat segue to our next topic, I'll tell you what I was doing when I was 16, listening to Rue's Sandstorm. Now, Carl, our, <laughs> our goal music is becoming slightly divisive at the moment, but for you, would you like it to stay? Yeah, I don't see why not. You know, if, it's when the right answer. Work, yeah, when, when something's working and, um, you know, it, it's helping possibly, which you never know, it could be the Spurs boys love it so much they want to score just to hear that piece of music for a little bit in the stadium, then... I'm afraid I'm, I'm a firm believer when something's working, you don't change it. So, you know, if we, and, and put it this way, if we win a trophy having had that played in the stadium, then that's the walkout song for the next 50, 100 years, Dan. Um, that's keep it. It's fun, it's quirky, it does get you going. So, yeah, I'm all up for it. I, I, I'm more interested to see what it's like when there's a ground full of supporters and that goes off, especially in something like a big London derby, because I think there'll be bedlam. 
Well, <laughs> this is it. I think that would be absolutely incredible. 60,000 fans going mad when Daru Sandstorm hits in a North London derby. I want it. I want it now. Like, this is... I'm in. But, Patrick, there are criticisms that it's too American. We don't need gold music. And usually gold music comes with, like, Kasabian. You know, the same old tropes. It's the same old bloody music all the time. And yeah. Yeah, Darude is a bit naff. And, yeah, it's, like, cliche. And it's gone through, like, so many memes over the last, like, few years of the internet age. But when the ball hits the net and you hear those bars afterwards, it just adds to the golden moment, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, it takes me back to the Son goal against um, Arsenal. Uh, when he's running, 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 and he, you know, whacks it, the finesse and curl on the ball, and as he's running off, you hear the music, and exactly. it's just, yeah, it's, it, 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 yeah, it's good times for me, man. Whenever I hear it, it, it brings a smile to my face because obviously, you know, it instantly makes you think of Spurs scoring goals, winning games, and yeah, I, I really like it. I don't really understand why people don't. I think some people just want to moan for the sake of moaning because we're scoring goals, winning games. You're hearing the, it's like a theme music to our to our goals. So why wouldn't you be happy and why wouldn't you embrace it? So yeah, let's 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 keep it. Top man, right? I think we're both well. We're all on board for that. Luckily, I did have a ten-minute watertight case as to why it's needed, but we, I don't need it. So if anyone <laughs> disagrees, I'm ready to unleash that later in the season. But more importantly, let's talk COVID now because for Tottenham, it's all changed. Carl, we've already suffered through the ailments of others this season. Now the Fulham game was suspended back in December. And now Villa have come a cropper, unfortunately. So, you know, best wishes to everyone in the Villa camp. But the Premier League, I guess, needs to be commended for a change for some relatively quick thinking. Yeah, and it it has made a massive change, isn't it? Because, you know, the worst thing about that Fulham game, wasn't it, that you've got the, you know, the management team and and the players in the stadium still waiting to find out whether they're going to play in about an hour's time or not on that day. So that that was a bit of a shambles. Um, But some common sense has kind of come through, which, you know, you kind of think someone must have maybe banged heads together at the FA or, or wherever they were today. And someone's gone, I've got a good idea. Why don't we do this? And yeah, why not? And the right decision has been made. You know, neither club, no club can moan about it. You know, you would have had a fixture. It's just not the one you were thinking. It's not like Fulham have now got to travel far, have they? Um, You know, I know lots of people have been moaning about, oh, you know, the club would have been preparing for this and do that. These clubs are not undercooked in terms of what they their knowledge they've got on all these clubs and the fact that they're getting them watched and they can suddenly, you know, I'm pretty sure the changing of the team and the, the opposition you're going to face is not a bigger dilemma as everyone seems to think. I think we make it far too complicated. Yes, we were going to play Villa. We're not now. We're playing Fulham at home. We'll be ready. We've nothing to fear from them at all. Um, you know, they can't moan. They were going to have a game anyway. So it's just change. Get on with it. The right decision's been made because if this wasn't made, we get punished later on in the season, don't we, by the fixtures piling up for us. Um, and, and you've got to get the season done. So get these games played. And if it means changing some arrangements around, well, I'm pretty sure these clubs have got big enough admin teams to be able to cope with that. Well, this is it, Patrick, because when you look at Tottenham's potential fixture list, now this is in a very best-case scenario where we win everything, or at least get to the final of everything, there's literally no margin for error. You're looking at games on an average every three days, which is mad. So, as I've said, the Premier League do need to be commended for all of this. So, at the same time, if we look forward, and let's be honest, Covid's not going away in the next month or so, so there's very little wiggle room to play with. It only needs another team, or God forbid, something in our camp and it all falls apart all of a sudden, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the problem. I mean, and like you said, I've been, you know, 
God forbid, and touch wood and all the other things. But I thought that the other day, I was like, what happens when we get an outbreak? And I, you know, I don't want to jinx it, but it, it seems to be, you know, so, slowly but surely creeping through the Premier League. And we've got so many games lined up. We've got a tight schedule. You know, what happens then? So, yeah, the Premier League did really well to change it round. Um, I'm, I'm really happy about that. I did see a few Fulham fans uh, moaning on Twitter because they were saying that if they would have known that they were playing, they wouldn't have, you know, they wouldn't have uh, played certain players for the whole 120 minutes against QPR and all this rubbish. And yeah, so uh, they're moaning as well because they've got two tough, you know, London derbies back to back. They're now playing Tottenham and Chelsea. So they're saying that the, the Premier League have, uh, have done them dirty and they're playing two of the big teams back to back and that's not fair and all of this. So so even though you said no one would, uh, would moan, people are moaning, which is ironic. But um, it is, it, you know, fingers crossed we don't get anything coming through our camp. We hope all the boys learn from their mistakes, you know, your Regulons, your um, Lacelsos and Lamellas, they all learn from that, keeping the bubble. And, you know, we just hopefully run a tight ship and we get a bit of good luck. Hopefully this year, like I said, with the year ending in one, hopefully we get a bit of luck on our side for once and things run smoothly. Well, Carl, we spoke to our good friend Matthew Baldin on another pod last Tuesday and he was of the mindset that teams should be defaulting to a 3-0 loss if COVID is rife in their camp. Now, should that not be just the simple solution that, you know, yes, it's unfortunate, but it happens, we move on and the fixture list goes as much as possible as it can in its current order? Yeah, there, there's certainly an argument for it, isn't there? Because, you know, I guess one of the things you could say, and let's take us as a club, for example, given the kind of COVID break that we had with the players. Now, let's just say, for instance, that suddenly after Christmas, there'd been a massive outbreak of COVID at our club and we'd had to call off games. If you then suddenly find out the reason for that is that players haven't been doing what they should have done and adhering to the sort of social distancing rules, you know, not mingling and stuff like that then there is an argument to say, well, hang on, why should this other club now be punished? Your players have brought this on yourself by not following guidelines and doing what they should have done. So the reason we're now having to change everything is because you've not done what you needed to do. Given the current climate we're in and, you know, the sensitivity around football still being played because it's it's only us football fans who think it should be going ahead. Most people out there have a bit of resentment that things like football are still going on in the current climate. So there is an argument to say, well, yeah, if your players haven't been doing what they should have done, we're not going to delay anything. They knew what they had to do. The rules were set. The procedures were there. Yeah, you're going to have to forfeit the game, a 3-0 defeat. We move on because we can't afford to, like, to delay nothing because we don't know what's coming down the line with this even more, do we? There, there could be more delays and there could be more problems yet to face. So there is there is an argument for going strict and just saying, well, sorry, you knew the rules, you knew the guidelines. And if you've not followed them properly, well, that's that's on you, basically. You've got no one to look at but yourselves in the mirror. So... I can understand it and I certainly, to be honest, wouldn't gripe if that was what the case was. And unfortunately, if it had been Spurs that that had happened to because of what the three guys did, we'd have to take it on the chin. Well, Patrick, we've avoided a scenario where Villa play their kids on a Friday and get their match postponed because they can't fulfil a senior squad. So how does that manifest itself? You know, Why is it fair to be playing one competition as a weaker team's where the integrity is not damaged, but then you can't replicate that same starting eleven three, four days later. 
I, I know. I, I don't understand. I mean, from so many aspects, it made no sense to me. One being that Jurgen Klopp has complained all season that, you know, he's had a congested uh, fixture list. His players need a rest, all of this, blah, blah, blah. And yet him and I think him and Pep Guardiola have used the least amount of substitutes in the Premier League. Against us, when we played them at uh, Anfield, he made no substitutions. So it just goes and then he knows he's playing, uh, you know, Villa's kids and he still puts out a super strong team. So all the guys that you were moaning at that needed a break, needed a rest, Mane's played, Salah played, all of his top boys played, basically. So it makes no sense. And then, like you said, the integrity has just gone out the window because why is it OK to play them in the FA Cup, but then you can't play them in the Premier League? I don't really get it. It makes uh, And the, the fact that it's a cup competition, it should be even more stricter because you only get one game and you're out. Where in the, in the Premier League you've got thirty eight games, so to speak. So it just yeah, it's a bit weird. I don't understand really why they're doing it. They should keep it consistent, and it shouldn't be one rule for one, another for another. Um, yeah, I still can't get my head around it. If I'm being honest. Well, Carl, if we go to a more continental front, obviously the Europa League will revive soon. And looking at rugby today, their European competitions have been curtailed for the foreseeable. Last season we saw the Europa League and the Champions League go to a one-off venue, last eight teams. Could you see something similar happen this time around? Yeah, you know, I think there are arguments for that, isn't there? Where, you know, if you suddenly think, you know, flying these teams across the country during part of their season is causing, you know, mayhem and disruption, then it, it was a sensible answer and it could be another sensible thing to do again, couldn't it? Um, and weirdly enough, I kind of enjoyed that when it came because it felt like almost a mini World Cup on mini Euros, didn't it? You know, you had these games sort of every other night um, and, and it brought a bit of an edge to what probably would have been stale games during the course of a season at certain points and games you probably just couldn't get into. Um, I think it's a decent answer and a decent solution because it does seem, given the way things are going at the moment and numbers, there is a risk of sending players abroad and having to travel and stuff like that. So, yeah, why not? I'd be all up for it. If it got to that stage again, I think it'd kind of revigorate that tournament and also give you a bit of an extra buzz towards it when it came around. So, Patrick, flipping it back to midweek now, of course, Fulham, it's our game in hand. It's a must-win, really, because when Liverpool lose to Southampton, the door's wide open. But Liverpool aren't even really the team to worry about at the moment. Surprisingly, it's Manchester United. So, it has to be three points or bust on Wednesday. It has, it has to be, because we've got a lot of teams literally on the same uh, points uh, tally as us. But we just got a good goal difference. And then if you look at it, there's a few teams with just three points below us. And yeah, we need to win the game. It's a game in hand. Let's um, you know, get some get some goals in. Uh, Sonny Kane and a few others get some goals. Get their numbers up. Get uh, you know, increase our goal difference. And obviously, like you said, win our game in hand. We need to win it. We've had a few slip ups. Thankfully, other teams have also slipped up. So we need to really take advantage of this game. Um, and yeah, get back to that to that mentality of going on a run. Because if we win this game. Then we've got Sheffield United as well, don't we, on the weekend? That's another game that we should win. Um, let's let's go on a run now and, and see where it takes us. So, Cole, in terms of the lineup, how strong do you go for Fulham? When do you consider, as Patrick alluded to, that they've played 120 minutes not knowing they had a league game around the corner? How much advantage will we have? Are they there for the taking? 
Yeah, well, to be honest, even if they hadn't played that hundred and something minutes, you know, if if we're playing Fulham at home um, and we're we're kind of worrying, and I don't mean this disrespectfully for Fulham or that, but you know, given the season they're having and, and their squad to ours, we shouldn't be fearing Fulham at any point at home. Um, it's going to help us. They've played that football. But I guess we just have to look at this quite simply, don't we? Given the fact we've had a rest this weekend and most of the key players haven't played, for me, you go full strength, you get the game won. And this is the where we're saying earlier, isn't it, Dan? It's the perfect excuse to, at that point, if you're free up after, you know, 60 minutes or something and the game is done and dusted, don't then see it out with all your key men on the pitch. Change it up. Give the fringe players a chance. Bring them on. Give them minutes. Let them see a game out. But I think in the way the course of the season's going and how open the title race is and the desperate need to make sure we get top four, I wouldn't take anything for granted and risk anything, get the three points in the bag, move on to next week. Well, Patrick, Fulham, obviously they had a shaky start to the season. They are turning things around slowly. They are more of a draw merchant at the moment. They're a tough nut to crack. So Tottenham will have to be on it, won't they? They can't be taken for granted, Fulham. Yeah, exactly. So it goes back to your point about how strong do we go. We go as strong as we would against any team. We show them that respect, but we also go there to get the, the job done, man. We need the three points. We need to get some goals. Ideally, I want to see us get some goals instead of sitting back on a 1-0 lead and it gets into the 88th minute, 85th minute, and we'll, we will start basically quivering, knowing that they get a chance they're going to score from a set piece or you know something along those lines. So let's go strong. Let's batter them, really. Uh, increase our goal difference. Because I think this season, it could even come down to goal difference. That's how tight it is. And our goal difference right now is, is quite decent. So let's increase on that. Hopefully, Hugo gets a clean sheet. And yeah, we just, um, like, like Jose said, which I loved the other day, we showed him the most respect possible by putting out the strongest squad. Uh, and let's just get the job done. We need, to, we need to get some wins now. We really do. Goal difference is a very good point, actually, because as you say, that in effect is almost like an extra point coming into the season. So opportunities to strike up a few more goals should never be overlooked. With that in mind, Cole, Gareth Bale featured fleetingly against Marine. I know it's a massive change in level, but is there scope for some Premier League minutes on Wednesday? It should be, shouldn't there? I mean, again, this is a perfect game to kind of get him on the pitch. And, you know, if we're going to see the best from him, it's going to take some game time. So get him on the pitch. We're at home. You know, we should, you know, we're the, we should be the favourites. We should be the stronger side. So this is a perfect game to give Bauer a run out. Um, and it might be that, you know, yeah, he may not be as on it as we possibly want. But if we're winning and the game's going our way, don't just take him off. You know, let him see the game out. Give him those minutes because, yes, this... This could be, a, you know, one of those key fixtures where, as we're saying, we can build up some confidence here. You know, we haven't been playing that brilliantly of late, you know. So, again, when you've got an opportunity to play an opposition where you might be able to put a performance in, score some goals, give a guy a run out that helps him get some minutes and confidence, you've got to take advantage in it because it's a long, hard season. So, you know, I like to say oh, I'm not dismissing Fulham. I'm not saying that we just got to turn up. We haven't. But... We've got to do the right things. And for me, giving bowel minutes in this game, I think that's key because we, we've got to see him suddenly take the step up and, and start putting some performances in. And he can only do that when he's on the pitch. And Patrick, last question. I'm going to give you a bit of a hospital pass here because I've not done my research, but no Doherty because he's suspended. Is Aurier fit for Wednesday? 
Yeah, he is. Yeah, yes. oh yeah, he's fit. Yeah, so <laughs> I love, I love the way he said yes there. So yeah, no, he's fit. He's ready. Well, also going to ask you then very quickly is who yeah. do you play centre back? Uh, I go with our strongest pairing, so it'd be um, uh, it would be Toby and um, Dyer. I like it. Yes, the same answer for me. Right, very quickly then, chaps. I'll get some predictions for you for Wednesday. Patrick, you first, mate. What have you got for me? Uh, four nil. It's gone really big. Four nil. <laughs> and why not, Carl? What about you, mate? Uh, I'm going to go 3 0 um, on Wednesday. I, I think we'll just get in the groove, Kane and Son, um, and, and then I think Bell's going to play and, and he'll nick one as well. Okay, I'll go for a more routine 2 0, but the outcome's all the same. Hopefully, it's three points in the bag. Right, time to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my two great guests this evening. Patrick, your first mate. Thanks ever so much for your time this evening. I hope you enjoyed that one. Yeah, I loved it. Always a pleasure. I love being on with you boys and sometimes girls as well. So um, no, I love it, love it, love it. Um, as always, you can catch me on Views TV Official. And if you want to follow me on Instagram or Twitter, it's Patrick Tyron. So thank you. Not a problem, mate. Hopefully we'll speak to you soon. Actually, we will speak to you soon. There's no doubt about that. And Cole, <laughs> thanks for running the channels tonight, mate, and wearing the captain's armband. Hopefully we'll catch up next Monday. Definitely, mate. Really enjoyed this. Um, and as we said earlier in the show, Dan, thanks for all the listeners. Keep it coming uh, and we'll bring you some quality Spurs content. Yes, we can't guarantee that. No, we can. We're good at this. So uh, <laughs> 40,000 is ticked off. The race for 50,000 begins. So keep listening, spread the word and we'll get there much sooner. Right. With that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. And as always, come on, you Spurs. For Spurs fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Tottenham videos and podcasts, download the free Coys app now from the App Store and Google Play.